Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. See the dwarfs and see the giants. Which one would you choose to be? And if you can't get that together, here's the answer, here's the key. You can freeze like a 30 century man, like a 30 century man. Do you prefer Stephen or Steve? Uh, Stephen. Stephen. Yeah. Cool. If you want to get in it's, nice and close, it'll. That's actually how it's pronounced. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Love it. So what's your background beyond just filmmaking? I mean, obviously you're American. Um, yeah, I'm a... Where were you born and raised? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mass hall uh, uh, from Massachusetts. Um, <clears throat> we're originally from uh, near New Bedford, South Shore. Uh, moved to a little town on Cape Cod, Massachusetts in the... Early, uh, late 70s, you know, um, public high school, marching band, edited the school newspaper, wrote record reviews, worked in a record store, played drums in a band, a very awful cover band. Um, what did you cover? What songs? My God. Well, we had a, we had a girl singer, so we knew the entire first Go-Go's album. Amazing. We got the um, beat. Yes. Uh, Skid Marks on My Heart I think was our favorite um, we also had a dude who sang and played guitar and he made us play things like uh, old time rock and roll and Message in a Bottle by the Police we're you know kind so of did you kind crappy... of come of age in the punk new wave sort of era was that your I, I did that time was, yeah, yeah I mean I'm I'm uh, yeah I'm a child of the 80s for sure and I really, I tried so hard to make our band cooler than it was, uh, but I failed. I was only the drummer, right? I mean, but as we've seen, drummers can be quite powerful. Um, Amen. I wasn't quite a Yoshiki back then. I couldn't even get them to play like one Susie and the Banshees song. Uh, yeah, we were stuck with like the police. Um, no disrespect to the police, but, um, you know, the police, go-go's. I think we had like... Uh, um, we tried to play a Rush song. That's very wow, how'd hard. You get on with that's that? very hard on a drummer. It did not go well. The last time I was actually around this area, there's a hotel just down the road a bit. Was to interview mm. Geddy Lee. Really nice oh, man. Really nice man. He's a very nice man. I actually uh, interviewed him briefly for a film I was involved with uh, about Jaco Pastorius. 
great uh, Robert Trujillo player. I know kind of a little bit um, yeah. I know the Mass Mental project very well because yeah, yeah, Whitfield yeah. Crane and Benji Webb are good friends of mine so oh, no kidding. I DJed the after party for their London show oh, really? which was amazing because <laughs> it had the guy from Level 42 oh wow Phil Campbell came yes, out yes he's really um, they're Armand, really good friends the most insane ba- yeah, yeah. The, one of the most insane Incredible. bass players ever so you um, directed the Jacko film with with Robert as a I somewhat producer. directed it we my producer and I we, we took it as far as we could let's just leave it at that and then it was finished later and uh, yeah let's just leave it at that right. but I really I'm, I, I love Jacko Pastorius I think he's an absolute genius um you know, incredible, incredible spirit, amazing musician. And um, why were we talking about Jocko? I'm sorry, I just <laughs> flew in. I'm completely jet lagged. Well, I was with Robert on March the 11th, 2014, mm. which is my birthday. That's why mm. I remember the date. And he just received then and there like a final cut. Maybe mm. it was the first draft that you'd done, or maybe it's the final, final one. Oh, I don't know. No idea. But he went off to go watch it, so that's just sort mm. of why I thought. But we'll move on, shall we? Very interesting. Let's let's. Yeah, um, Scott Walker is yes. someone who, before your amazing film, I saw that when it came out in the mm. cinema. Before I'd seen that, all I knew was I'm sure quite a lot of people did was just the Walker Brothers, Sun Ain't Gonna Shine mm. Anymore, that kind of classic '60s crooner pop career that he'd had. Obviously, as you depict in that film, he then went on to just become one of the most pioneering, avant-garde, interesting songwriters that you know the world's ever seen. Mm-hmm. What an amazing man! How did that project start up? First of all, just was, did it come from an interest? There was all in his me. music from you. That yeah. was all me. Yeah, I was obsessed. Um, I I had been turned on first to his '60s uh, solo records. Uh, before I didn't know who the Walker Brothers were. We I was living in San Francisco in the early '90s, and they they those solo records were just being issued on CD for the first time. And just some people I knew that I hung out with that were in bands um, were into a bunch of '60s psychedelic stuff, and they got their hands on them, and we were just hanging out one night. I think it was it was a, a very very drunken. Thanksgiving dinner at a friend's house. I remember lots and lots of red wine. Someone made a turkey, and then they slapped on like Scott Two, and everyone like started singing along. And the drunker they got, they all would like play it more. And it was like the Jacques Brel stuff, you know. I couldn't believe it. Like, what is this? It was so cool. Um, then I really got into Scott Four. That's that was my first introduction to his yeah. solo stuff, and that's far out. Oh, it's so it's so good. It's actually not that far out. I mean, the old man's back again. It's just it's gorgeous stuff. The production is really great. You know, he wrote all that himself, and that was the one that tanked after he was a pop star. And you know, these were like number one, number three, al- top three type albums and then the fourth one just failed to chart and that started the decline um and then you know years later i i hear that there's this album tilt out there in the world that he's just made this new album that was like what 95 i think and that was just such a departure that's the beginning of the avant-garde phase um and i just loved it so i would i just was obsessed with both these two polarities then discover the ones in the middle, you know, Climate of Hunter, very odd record, totally beautiful. Which is the album where he's got like big oil drums on top of a piano or something, and he's moving them around oh, in circular motions to get the the drift. That's the album he was making when we made the film. Right. We I heard he was about to make a new album, uh, and when you f- you see that he does maybe one a decade, you thought, my God, this could be it. Um, what an amazing opportunity and uh it just it had to be done it's an exceptional film as well and i'd advise anyone who even if they've never heard of scott walker yeah yeah to check it out yeah it's a brilliant exploration of a great mm -hmm. genius mind isn't it it it, because he doesn't give you anything personally and it was kind of the bargain you make with him uh it had to be about uh his journey as an artist uh it was about his creative world his process and I, I just I just find it fascinating. I, I love all the different twists and turns. I love the croony stuff. I like the noisy stuff. And to be be let into the studio to see some of that stuff happening was really cool. 
because once we decided to do it and we kind of got the permission to do it, you have to do it and follow it through all the way. And because it was a total passion project, you know, and he was so unknown and culty, it was all me. Like I, we had to raise all the money ourselves. Um, was totally independent. Nobody wanted to help us. Um, and eventually, you know, got a UK uh, distributor behind it. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. It came out great, did a lot of festivals, and I think was a good part of what helped kind of rehabilitate him because he's very busy now in, you know, uh, relative terms. And was that the film which probably got your film career kick-started and off the ground as well? Well, it, it was or weird. was it sort of already happening? No, no. no. It, it, it took a little bit. Because um, it was very critically well-received, It was wasn't very it? critically well-received. I think what really kicked it was getting a call from the Rolling Stones, like out of nowhere. That'll do it. To do the film about exile on Main Street. That really helped kick it up a notch that's the best stones album as well right it's the best stones album um yeah that was it was it was um it was because it introduced me to john batsek and passion pictures who produced that and now we've gone on to do we're about to start our fourth film together um one of the best producers out there and great creative team um what do you look for as a filmmaker as a director in a good producer well, it's well they bring you great projects. So it started a kind of a trend of uh, of me not developing and pushing things uphill for 5 years at a time. It was just here's a project, here's a subject, here's a budget, here's a schedule, go, which is a really rare place to be in. Um so I'm very fortunate in that respect. Um but it's it's just a uh, it's a combination of a lot of things. It's just a great track record, um, great reputation, um, and they're just they're, it's it's creative and constructive, um, and they just give you the space to work. But they'll get in there and you know they'll get in there when they need to. Um, you know he's he's very good in the edit room. He's one of the best kind of creative producers I've worked with. Just it's in terms of understanding how to like give directors and editors uh, constructive criticism. Not all of them know how to do it, uh, and I've worked with some that are not good at it. And you really can tell the difference. Um, and it's it's like the track record. The guy's got two Oscars. He's got like they must have produced over fifty plus feature documentaries. You know, partnerships all over the world. Great, great films. You know, great films, great subjects, a lot of respect. And we just enjoy working together. So, which counts for a lot. Yeah. It's just, it's a good creative family to be in. It's not just him, it's the head of production, the woman I work with in, in LA, Diane Becker, who's produced the last few, who's, you know, works with John. Um, yeah, it's like I, I'm, in a, I'm in a good pocket with these people. We can just keep cranking them out. It's almost, it doesn't matter what it's about. Which is why when he brought me, he's like, how about a Japanese rock band? I'm like, sure, John. Whatever you want. So what Let's was your... Had you had any familiarity before this project began with the band? Uh-uh. None no, at all? None at all. None at all. What a golden subject to be presented yeah. with. I mean, sometimes it's it's timing and you're just like, jeez, I really need to work. John, what can we do? You know, and you're, we're always... Because we enjoy working together, so we're always kind of trying to find stuff to do. And it just so happened that <clears throat> he had been contacted by uh, Yoshiki's team. They wanted a film. They wanted the best producer to do it. Um, and I do a lot of the music stuff, so he gave me a, a call and threw it at me. And, um, yeah, it was just uh, weird timing, you know. Uh it was it was just a quick i mean i've said it a million times it was just literally a quick little google and you start to see images of them first and you're hooked i mean you just look at the hair <laughs> the hair alone toshi has the <laughs> highest mohawk of any human being ever um and then you know yoshiki and just hide the whole bunch of them they're so visually interesting that you know there's going to be something under there that's really fascinating. Um, you know, and I, I had seen my fair share of, uh, 
you know, cosplay and the whole, you know, Harajuku thing. I mean, you you see the visual sort of legacy everywhere, but you don't realize that, oh, wait, they're kind of there at the nexus of the start of all of it. So that was fascinating. Not necessarily pulled in by the music at first. I think I might have first heard a couple ballads, and I thought, ooh, not really for me. Uh, but then you keep digging, <clears throat> then you hit a song called Standing Sex, and it's just <laughs> game over. It's like the greatest song I've ever heard. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was it was a deep well. A, and from, a deep well to fall into. From a narrative point of view, uh, as someone said on the way down here, I'm not going to name drop him, but he was like, you uh, don't get two suicides and a singer being kidnapped by a cult in Coldplay. You seriously do not. <clears throat> I mean, from just from just a story, I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> from just a story point of view, I mean, where do you start as a storyteller with approaching those subjects? Were they open to just talk about it from the get go? Well, I mean, you know, to be fair, there's that is th- those are the story beats. I mean, you can't get away from it. That's those are the events that have shaped the narrative of ex-Japan, you know? Um, and to tell it, you have to lean into that. Um, why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? And Yoshiki knows it very well. I mean, it's it's as deep as pain, but it's also narratively his greatest strength because he can build off of that adversary. He can build off of that um, uh, adversity and, you know, with his creativity and use that as a real transformative uh, pivot. You know what I mean? Like his whole artistic project is kind of about death and rebirth over and over and over again. And that transfers to the fans. It's like this, this, this intense transference of that cycle that gives them all power. Um, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. The depths of the tragedy the heights of the creativity, and then that passion that, that ignites between band and fan base. I mean, I've, I got tweets from somebody who saw the film, who went into the film having suicidal feelings and came out with a hope to live. You know what I mean? Like the film, Ex-Japan, Yoshiki saved someone's life. You know, that's just one example. And it happens over and over and over again. So it's pretty intense. Um, and yeah, I mean, where do you start? It's all there. I mean, you just have to start digging and asking questions about it. Um, and the emotion just kind of, have you seen the film? I mean, he's the waterworks just kind of come. This stuff's very much on the surface with him. So That stuff about the cult, I mean, the suicidal elements to the story are obviously, you know, heartbreaking. Um, but for me, what was almost the most like intriguing, I don't know whether that's the right word, but it's certain, I mean, you don't come across kidnappings by cults day to day in Western rock and roll bands, do you? You can't imagine like, I mean, maybe someone like David Bowie would attract mm. that level and Prince and these people like that, but it's not really something that is, you know, commonplace mm. in Western rock and roll. It's just not. I mean, well, because um, you don't explore it in that much detail in the film. We don't. We don't. And it was partly, you know, it wasn't because we didn't want to. Um, Toshi did tell us quite a bit about it. Um, it just ends up becoming this thing where if you open the door a little bit wider, you're, you're literally asking for a whole other movie about that. I mean, there's so much detail. Um, we wanted to try to channel everything kind of through uh, Yoshigi's perspective um, and see how it affected him and the band and how their journeys parallel and then Toshi kind of goes away from him. So to dig too much into Toshi's narrative would have kind of made the film a bit lopsided. Although it's so intriguing. Everyone wants to know more. Everybody wants to know more about the cult. I mean, he wrote a whole book about it, so it's not like it's some mystery. Toshi has a book published in Japan 
called like my 12 years in hell or something like that <laughs> exactly what it says yeah, on the tin is, exactly. is that available in english do you know uh-uh. no. no i mean i i have i have a little cheeky translation of it tucked right. away on my laptop somewhere um but uh yeah. the stuff that got me was the physical torture yes 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 just- i mean casually references and I, i'm I, like what you wonder is if it's like a little mini scientology or something i don't know what who I knows did, what goes on i did in the almost big... say so scientology yeah. is a joke in the room but i didn't know if any of them perhaps were scientologists so i, I didn't want don't to. think so um <laughs> but uh yeah no it's it's tragic i mean it, it was it's your garden your garden variety brainwash cult i mean it starts as you know self-help seminar and it sounds like this like stuff like this in la i mean like again, Scientology, Est, which then became like the forum. I mean, if you hear things like this, where people will be brought in, your self- well, I guess it's like what happens with actors like Tom Cruise and Will Smith with Hollywood. Well, yeah, on I mean, just a more extreme level, super extreme. Yeah, I mean, they see an opportunity, um, but their methods uh, were 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 those of you know, he was actually, and the thing is it seemed like he was already in a vulnerable spot. His family was having problems. Uh, you know, fame screws people up in all sorts of different ways. Yushiki uh, did kind of touch on that, and he said they were trying to make that record with the English language songs to yeah. go big in the US and the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Toshi's confidence was constantly being eroded um, by the fact that he couldn't step up to like the likes of, you know... Uh, Vince Neil or Axel, you know, Axel Rose or all the great metal bands that they were probably seeing gods of their day on the Sunset Strip while they were in L.A. hanging out. So he already feels like, you know, incapable of stepping up to that level. And um, yeah, lo and behold, this woman appears, kind of seduces him. Um, They were in a play. Uh, it's very funny. He did a rock opera. He did a Japanese rock opera version of Hamlet. She was in of the course. she was in the play. Uh, they marry, and she coaxes him into these self help seminars run by this. Uh, it's called Home of the Heart. Was the name of the cult. Um, and the guy that was the leader of the cult, no lie, his name was Masaya, M A S A Y A, right? Hmm. <laughs> Not too suspect, right? <laughs> um, and uh, evil emperor. <laughs> yeah, they were just you know it was seminars, and wow. before you know it, the the tactics are, you know, he's being locked in a room, given a knife. They said it was like he was like put in a room with a mattress and a knife, told that that mattress is your family. You have to murder them to remove their influence from your life. Close the door, lock it. We'll see you when you're done. And like, who knows? Days could go by. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was really bad. And yeah, stories of physical abuse. Beatings. Did you talk to him directly much? Or yeah, was it just I did. We have a, we have a really long interview with Toshi. I mean, I read, I read the whole book, and uh, yeah, I mean, they 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 brainwashed him, stole all his money. It was physical. It was mental. But it's not unique to him. I think this is just when you look across the history of cults and these kinds of these kinds of organizations, this is what they do. Um, and you have a wealthy rock star, you know, great opportunity to siphon him dry, and that's just what they did. And they they reduced him to nothing. I mean, he was the leader of this cult, composed his own music, which was you know. He, uh, he Here's prom- the beers. He, hey, <laughs> finally. How long did that take? Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> no so now, tip for them. Now I'm, I'm going to start <laughs> making some sense. Um, Cheers, Stephen. Mm. Cheers. Um, yeah, basically Toshi was made to tour Japan playing this kind of like acoustic healing music. And you, you see a little clip of him in the film. He's got short hair. He's got a little sweater tied around his shoulders. He's just been reduced to... This like this shadow of his former self, and all the proceeds, of course, go to the cult. And yeah, it's just it's just shocking. Um, so the new record I've just heard mm. is is it finished? And because it, it's their first hey, in however how, how how long? I d- I don't want to I I don't know. I right. mean, it should be finished. It's supposed to be finished. It's supposed to have been finished a lot 
this last year, and it seems to keep moving further into the future. Um, part of the delay was because Yoshiki decided he wanted to write a new song for the movie to appear in the end credits, and uh, he did. So everything stopped while he composed, recorded, and mixed, and remixed, and re-recorded um, La Venus, which... Uh, it is great. It's just it's a really great epic ex Japan rock ballad. Um uh yeah, it's beautiful. It's it suits the film real nice. I mean it there's not a huge amount of it in the film. It's it's a nice little taste. Um and then um I we've just been working on what I, I now understand will be one of two music videos for La Venus. Ours is going to be more the kind of animated film-related version. Um, There's a lot of that in the film, and it's um, it's really quite a high a high level. The animated did, stuff. Yeah. Did you have to sort of you know learn a whole new series of tricks? No, no, trade, no, uh, no. Actually, not at all. Um, the company that the the animators, the artists that do that stuff, the company's called Blue Spill. Uh, it's Allison Brownmore and Anthony Brownmore, um, who I've worked with now since the Stones movie, and they do a lot of films with passion pictures. Um, they're extraordinary. We've we've just we just got our groove on, and I have them do stuff on every film. Uh, and for this one, it was just super fun because, you know, look at the aesthetic you have to work with, right? I mean, I ordered up tons of old visual K pop magazines from Japan and the got, sky's really the limit. Isn't the it, sky's the limit. Stuff? And like all the Hide photo sessions he would do with Hideo Kano were nuts. And so like there was already this visual world that they created. Add to that the slogan of the band from the early days, which was psychedelic violence crimes of visual shock, which is how they described <laughs> That's amazing. their their, genre, their aesthetic their project, right? And there was even stickers, and it's on the front of the Blue Blood album. That's kind of their slogan. So I said, look, that's your creative brief. Whatever that means to you, plus all of this visual stuff, that's what I want you to do. Go have fun. And they just went, okay, great. And that stuff just started coming. You know what I mean? It was really freeing. Uh, I, I generally know that whatever they kick back at me is going to be good. Um and that kind of freedom really energized them. And then the inspiration of all that raw material of the photos and the photo shoots that X already did. We took a lot of their existing stuff and just brought it to life. Um, that was just fantastic. I mean, the, the opening credit sequence won an award <laughs> at South really? by Southwest. It wow. won, it won um, the Audience Award for Excellence in Title Design. So uh, super proud of that. Because it's really those the most badass opening credits it's got, you're ever gonna see. It really yeah, is yeah, quite yeah. Well, great. It's like it could be a film in itself, couldn't it? It's a proper short. And then you've got some of the live footage. I mean, to go into how many shows of theirs did you go to? Oh well, we only filmed. Or was it all stock footage? All the Madison Square Garden. It's only Madison. Yeah, yeah. Like he has an archive. Like this is the other great thing about this film for us creatively was that. X Japan is very well documented. Uh, Yoshiki has been having the band and himself filmed for like still now. Still now, I mean, <laughs> they could be right behind us. <laughs> I don't know we're here, so um, yeah, no, it's. Cr I mean, seriously, they're, 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 he asked me if I wanted to do the sequel like the other day. I said, "You, hey, so you want to make another movie? He's got enough stuff, you know." Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's great. There's like thousands and thousands of hours just we literally could have made a 30 year long movie just stringing it all together uh they've they've have every concert filmed with like 30 cameras and they have all the rushes every camera it's all there um i've truly never seen anything like it i mean the stones have a pretty great archive um but this is it's an extreme i've never experienced um and it was insane because you, you literally have there's more footage you could ever possibly uh, absorb in one lifetime. But um, we got a good way through it. Um, but what was great is we could take individual concerts 
Last Live being a great example, because you can look at the, the edited DVD, um, you know, which was probably cut in like with early 2000s or something. There's just, there's an editorial style that doesn't suit our filmmaking. It's quick cuts, it dissolves, it's, it's not very good. Um, for storytelling, it's cut very quickly. But we could just find the one camera that was on Hide for three hours and isolate moments. You know, so we could pull it apart and find the Hide and the, the Toshi close-up and the Yoshiki, Yoshiki close-up really? and then rebuild it for, for, narr- for story because there was a ton of drama going on at that concert and you could just squeeze it right out of it and just zoom in on, and find close-ups and just stay in them. It was so cool. It was really, really great. Nice. And yeah. the X film, as a sort of fi- uh, final thought... What did you learn through the process of that, that film about that band that makes them a particularly unique proposition in the history of, of rock music? What makes them stand out from anyone else, aside from just the aside crazy stuff that's gone on from in the there? Mohawks. Um, <laughs> what is it, man? I don't know. It's, it's not an easy question to answer. Um, it's like learning about... Uh, it's like about learning about like a, a person's creative journey. I mean, is getting to know someone like Yoshiki has been an amazing experience. Um, you know, ironically, you know, the first album I ever bought, the first album Toshi ever bought, the first album Yoshiki ever bought was Kiss Love Gun. You know, there's this weird common ground. Like, the, it, it's the smallest thing, but it, it really, it, it made an impact on me. And it, it immediately kind of nudged us all kind of closer together. And I thought, ah. Common ground. I kind of get you now. Like something about that. He plays the drums. I played the drums. You know what I mean? There was like these funny little things. I just thought, you know, we're separated by cultures, language, you know, decades and just difference. And, you know, you've sold out the Tokyo Dome a million times. I'm, you know, just making rock documentary. I mean, there's just, but you, you kind of try to locate this sort of place that you can inhabit. It's where you kind of create empathy, right? And to graft people to him and his story is really important. Otherwise they're not going to get into it. Um, and it's, it's not really about selling records. It's about, uh, understanding what makes, you know, a person, tick or where their pain comes from or you know um but again like i rambled on earlier it's this incredible like thing that i've never seen with any other band and it's just learned like the the kind of the transformative power of music like it really like to say like music saved my life is something a lot of people say and you can you know of course it did (laughs) and it's it means a lot to all of us but um there's literally this this messianic messianic quality that I've observed with this band um, that is actually it's very real. You know what I mean? Uh, you see it at the concerts. You you experience it when you talk to the fans. Um, it goes way beyond anything I've ever experienced. Um, it's a little supernatural in a weird kind of way. Um, and sometimes I give these answers and I think, am I just like, you know, is this just, is, am I just giving good interview or is this like, no, nah, this is, it actually, it's really tangible. It's really powerful. Um, so it's a really long and convoluted answer to your question, but it's in there somewhere. The answer is in there somewhere. Well, this podcast is all about life <laughs> and, you know, journeys, emotional journeys, triumphs, struggles, not just product and content mm-hmm. and Q and A. It's about discussion and exploration and your film is that and this chat has been that and for me i didn't have any all i knew about the band going in to see the film was that they had a massive entourage at Mm. all times (laughs) and it was quite a bizarre circus operation that's all i knew and after watching it i was like wow it's one of the most human relatable as removed as it is from my experiences because you know Two suicide, well, three. His dad is two mm-hmm. bandmates, a cult. I mean, that's so far. There are more from anything, bodies too. We we didn't put them all in. It was just would have been too depressing. Right. Um, 
not all suicides, just bizarre deaths. I mean, uh, it's a, a, a distant, it, removed story, yeah. but at the same time, it's rooted in basic um, human struggle and triumph over adversity mm-hmm. and creativity. And it rocks hard, um, man. <laughs> they still rock really hard. You're going to go to the show? Have you seen have It's you next seen Saturday, isn't it? I'm going to go. Wembley Arena next Saturday. Putting me on, Ben. Putting me on that guest list. Am I your date? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm well up for that. Are you going to be there? You stick around for it? Or? I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to go. I'm, right. suppo- I sh- I, I'm here in London. I'm here all the way through. So, All right, well, let's have a beer at the show then. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's hang out then. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, yes, mate. My pleasure. Good talking to you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi. Hi, Matt. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Have a seat. I'm okay. Thanks, buddy. All right, cool. Um, if we can, okay. I just want to try and position this close to your mouth as possible so I can pick up. Maybe if you could lean in a little bit to around where mm. I am, mm. would be great. Um, okay. It's a real honor to meet you. Pleasure. I was vaguely familiar with the band through a mutual friend, uh, Wes Borland. I have interviewed several times over Where's the years. Born? Yeah, okay. yeah. And he told me about going out. Was it three shows that he did when you did the special shows? Was oh, it yeah, was reun- it three yeah. in total? Reunion shows. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he played three nights, yeah. He said it was one of the most surreal <laughs> and overpowering experiences of his career. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, there's so much we have to cover in such a short space of time. I wonder if, first of all, you could tell me, there's a moment in the film when I can't remember whether it's yourself or someone else who's talking about... In the history of Japanese culture, mm. there was almost pre ex Japan and post. I wonder if you could sort of put me in the picture and tell me a bit about what Japan and maybe youth culture was like before your band and before that whole explosion and cultural revolution. Okay. Well, let's see. If you go to Tokyo right now, you may see a bunch of people with pink hair, purple hair, red hair, or blonde hair. So when we started doing this kind of thing, there's no people like that. Um, if you have blonde hair like this, probably cannot get a stop cab at all. It was that level of almost social, complete outcastness. Yeah. Very conservative. Right. Yeah. 
it's like yeah yeah um it's pretty much it's not no no anything but nobody was like you know okay put it this way when i was at junior high um i dyed my hair red they went to school uh-huh after summer break or something then my teacher grabbed me then shaved my head in the class right yeah. then and there yes wow i mean it should be I mean, it's super big deal if you do that. It's maybe something like we, when the parents can sue the teacher or whatever, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what did the rest of the class do? What was their reaction? Oh, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, if that I, was today, they'd be fa- streaming at Facebook Live, wouldn't they? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be a big, big problem around the world. That's know? phenomenal. Um, what was your introduction then to alternative culture, to rock and roll? Where did it come from? Did it come from... American bands? Did it come from, say, MTV? What was your introduction? How did you discover rock and roll music if it wasn't, you know, accepted in Japan at the time? I was only listening while playing classical music, you know, till my father passed away. So um, I saw, so so my father used to, you know, buy me a vinyl, a classical album, like every month. So he passed away, so I started going to the record shop. I just one day I just passed. Um, I saw a Kiss um, album cover. I was just was a single, a Love Gun or something. Mm-hmm. Like what is this? So that was the first time I bumped into rock. Yeah, that's quite an introduction because they are and definitely were then the loudest, weren't they? The most flamboyant, the most over the top. Then I found out they are coming to Japan. I saw some kind of newspaper. There's like Kiss coming to Japan. Like whoa! So I asked my mother to take me to the concert. So she took you? Yeah. So was your mother perhaps more liberal than, say, some of her age group and generation? Not really, because she she was wearing kimono. Right. As traditional as you can get. You know? Right, right. But Did she just want to support you? Because my father took his own life. Mm-hmm. So she somehow felt guilty towards us. I mean, it means me and my brother. Because she said, the person I chose, which was my father, took his own life. So she, yeah, she kind of tried to, you know, compensate something. So I, I asked anything, buy me drum set. She bought me drum set, took me to Kiss concert. She took me to Kiss concert. Yeah. It was obviously a huge and, you know, extremely painful thing to go through at such a young age. Um, I was amazed at how, and, and really blown away by how honest this this new documentary film is and how, heartbreaking really it is um what it really gets to the core of i think is what makes your band special and what so many people not just in japan but all over the world connect with is this idea of as i think you say actually in the film itself about having scars and learning to live with those scars and still making sure that life is a celebration even though sometimes it can be extremely difficult right right i mean you know, you can't really change your past, but it depends on how you live for the future. Mm-hmm. The past can shine or past can be really dark. You know, so you can somehow change the image of the past. Depends on how you live uh, your lives for the future. Yeah. So. Was music your salvation? Completely. If I if I was not doing music, or if I was yeah, if music was not next to me, I don't think I survived. Mm. And I think so many people who either play music or consume it and, you know, eat up and listen to as much of it as they can get their hands on, I think so much. It's, it's such a universal, powerful art form, isn't it? I think so, yeah. That really goes beyond, I mean, I'm a, an appreciator of all art, as I'm sure you are, but there's something so unique and powerful and special about music. I mean, the cool what, thing about... What is it for music? What is, what is it about music for you that makes it so special and, and powerful? Because music can combine with any form of the other arts. You know, music with the film, music with the paint, music with everything. I think like um, my, you know, the music I create was also um soundtrack of my life. You know, then it's like... It's sometimes it's how to how to create the music, how to compose. Um, 
I I don't know. I'm I'm uh, I never like you know had um, baby because I'm so I'm I'm a male. I cannot really you know uh, have um, you can't give birth. Give birth. Yeah. But almost I'm feeling like giving a birth. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, the songs of your song, children. Songs, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So those songs, a lot of times, helped me. Like when I'm going through a hard time. Yeah, it sounds strange. I heard, I can't remember who told me this quote, but they said that songs are never finished, ever. You just get to a point where you have to let them out. It's almost like a child has grown up and you have to let them go out into the world. Do you feel like that? Or do you feel like once you've released a song, it is finished? How do you feel about that? It's so hard to let let, let go, let it go, you know. So that's why probably I have not released an album past 20 years, 21 years or so. We are about to release a new album, finally. Mm-hmm. But I'm having the final thoughts about should I let it go or not. <laughs> and I guess the longer time goes, the more perhaps anxious you get about putting out something new, right? Is that, Would you agree with that? That too, that too. Um, yeah, yeah. So how are you feeling about, I mean, your fans, assumedly, are excited to the point of breaking <laughs> after you know so many years and i think that part of the pressure obviously comes with expectation from your fan base as well because you don't want to let them down at the same time you know this, this kind of uh, these kind of um this kind of how do you say uh time like people can listen to can get the opinion from fans a lot like any artist right so i want you to create this kind of song you want to uh, in this kind of art, it is great to uh, you know hear what fans think. Uh, but at the same time, you have to, as an artist, yeah. Sometimes you have to ignore entirely. Just I'm gonna create no matter what people say. I'm this I'm gonna create this kind of art. Just to be true to yourself, yes. right? So I'm. Some of the songs fans may like, fans may like. Some of the songs fans may hate. But this what I'm creating right now. Yeah, so it's some kind of danger about social media, about when it comes to the creation Everyone of art. has a voice, right? Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes you have to ignore them all. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. look at the comments. <laughs> That's what you got to do. Could I ask you about your singer? Okay. And 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 what happened there? Because it's it's touched upon in the film, and I mean. I've heard and read about that sort of thing happening before. There was an artist, I'm sure you know, Peter Green, who had a similar sort of thing where, you know, a, a cult kind of like kidnapped him and, and took him away. I mean, just as much or as little detail as you want to go into, but I'd be really interested to know your perspective on what happened with him leaving the band. And, you know, it was such a long period of time that he was away from. And assumedly during that whole time, your friendship was... I think that's the... Okay, so my vocalist... Uh joined cult group so that's the reason Nick Chapman broke up then you know 10 years later we got reunited um I think um that's I kind of blame myself to it's like it's my fault it's not I don't know it's entirely but I mean vocals and grew up together when we met each other when I was four years old mm-hmm. so then everything was fine we became the biggest band in Japan but we started aiming the market overseas. We wanted to actually went to America and started recording. So I was so ambitious about re- releasing the our English album. So I was really harsh on his pronunciation because I was also a producer. I'm also a producer too. So when I'm producing the um, his vocal tracking, just kept doing again and again and again. So I didn't really think about how he was feeling. So I think I almost used his voice as a tool. Like um, so, then, you know, I can I can say that right now. But that time, I just didn't even think. So um, then I think he was just really having hard time dealing with the band, dealing with me. Yeah. Was he perhaps feeling like um he wasn't meeting your expectation? Then do you think? That's what he said. I also made him look like. He was not meeting, you know, my expectation. I was really harsh. Yeah. 
And I mean, the cult itself, did you ever sort of get to the bottom of what they were about, what they wanted? As I was not in the cult, so I don't 100%, <laughs> but as far as I heard from Toshi, it's not really, really cult. It's that they're using that kind of like um, format and then, well, even I think it's worse, it's more like a business. More like, uh, they're, you know, they recruited Toshi to make money. So he, you know, he, uh, after, um, well, he, actually, that's another reason Toshi came back. So card leader eventually told Toshi to join, uh, 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 I mean, create Japan again so he can contribute so more money. So he can make a little bit. Yeah. When Toshi came back, like after almost eight, nine years, um, uh, uh, you know, Japan's broke up, I kind of knew something not right. But I thought that was also, I saw the hope if I, if we got, if we, you know, get reunited, I may be able to bring him back from that world. So it may take time, but so I was like, let's, let's get reunited, you know, then. So eventually he came back. Yeah, he realized. Yeah. It's a wild chapter in your career, isn't it? Completely. A really wild chapter. Yeah. Were you totally estranged during that whole period, that break, as friends? Was there any communication or was he fully in it? And Pretty much zero. Right. Only, only thing I heard was, it was on Japanese TV, news TV. The rock star was brainwashed. He, Toshi was on TV. He was saying, I was, I was not brainwashed. I was not brainwashed. You guys are weird. It's, it's, there's some kind of like a argument between, kind of fight between his his uh, group and then media. It's, then I was, I, you know, because I, also I was living in Los Angeles. I didn't see that much Japanese TV, but I went back to Japan sometime once in a while. Then I saw the news. I was like, whoa, what's, what's going on? But I didn't want to actually touch the subject. I was pretty much done with that, that kind of like Japan works lives so because you know the guitar player Hide uh, passed away you know five months five months after our broke up acceptance uh, broke up so I didn't want to touch that subject so almost yes almost 10 years I was had zero idea about what's going on Toshi what do you remember from the day was it Los Angeles you said when you were reacquainted what do you remember from that day when you, you I guess you know reconnected with him for the first time in almost a decade it's really strange um there's a guitar player called Toshi. It's actually, it's just the same name, Japanese guy. He was playing with the uh, David Lee Roth band, like Van Halen's vocalist, uh -huh. his yeah, band. Yeah. So he was actually, uh, you know, doing some session with me once in a while in Los Angeles. Then somebody, you know, said uh, Toshi's on the phone. Call my studio, record, recording studio. Okay, I thought that, that Toshi was that Toshi. Then when I pick up the phone, I was like, whoa. Except I'm Toshi. <laughs> I, like, I was like, what's going on? I didn't expect to hear from you today, yeah. Not at all. And what did he say? I'm coming out and I want to see you. And well, he said, how, how are you? You know, I said, like, I guess I'm okay. And how are you? You know, so he said, yeah. Then seriously, can I come to Los Angeles to see? Yeah. I, th I knew something was going on. Yeah. When I saw his face, he was... Still not the person I knew. So they already find. Is he now? I think so, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the brainwashing process, as far as I know, because I, after Tosh came back, I started learning about what exactly is brainwashing, brainwashing. I don't think it's going to wake up like one day, like even, you know, gradually, yeah, waking up, yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, tell me about your, your physicality. And the experience for you of because there's some really powerful scenes in the film when you know I guess you're reaching the climax in the set and you're giving it every single ounce of you know your being into the performance and then at the end you obviously you know there's a couple of scenes when you collapse on the floor because you've just got nothing left to you know even prop yourself up. What are you experiencing and going through in your head um, during those moments of sheer? And what would the term be? Would it be sort of ecstasy? Would it be? I was very, maybe still a little bit, suicidal. Right. But you know, after my father passed away, after my father took his own life, I didn't want to be in this world. So 
I was kind of looking for the reason to die or kill myself, something like this. Then at the same time, beating the drums, drum really hard. It's kind of like release that kind of anger, that kind of feeling. So I started banging drums really hard. Uh, sometimes like almost too hard to try to almost like break my body or something like this. Um, that kind of like that kind of pain kind of offset the pain inside. So so try to create the physical pain to offset the mental pain. No, makes sense. Yeah. Because some people, I think, try and numb it with perhaps drink or alcohol. Well, some people even cut themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So yours was just, I guess, transmitting it into Pretty. another form, something productive, creative. and Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, tell me about Marilyn Manson. How did you two meet? Um, there's, it's a very strange. I bet it is. <laughs> I, I also um, do a bunch of fashion things. I have my own fashion brand, Kimono. Anyway, um, I was organizing fashion show uh, several years ago. Then at that time, my partner, we are you know choosing a bunch of interesting models. Then, then I'm inviting some actresses um, or some models around the world. That's a pretty big fashion show, actually, like audience of 10,000 people like that. With also extra bands performing, the several bands performing like that. Um, then um, my partner said, uh, "Why don't you? Uh, I, I mean, why can't we have Marilyn Manson as a fashion model? Really? That's a very good, interesting idea." So I, you know, um, I knew his manager, and then I met him before. So Manson, so I asked him, "Do you want to come to?" Tokyo do the, the as a walk, walk uh, run me as fashion model. <laughs> he 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 liked it. So um, so he came. Then you know they became very close. Then yeah, he seems like one of the most switched on, smart, intelligent, interesting characters in in all all music, not just in heavy music, but in all music. He's very smart. Uh, he's very, how do you say, he's a very fashionable person in that, you know, he, even though he can do super heavy music too, but yeah. That's amazing. And Gene Simmons is in the documentary. Is he someone that you have a relationship with? Because obviously, you you know, you've just told me that Kiss were the band that turned you on to to rock and roll music. Yeah, so uh, Kiss is always my, you know, hero. Then... How many years ago that? Long time ago, they made an album called Kiss Tribute Album called Kiss My Ass. <laughs> so then, you know, I think Gene was producing his the tribute album and um, Kiss Tribute Album. There are a bunch of amazing artists like Lenny Kravitz and then, um, anyway. So he asked me if I wanna uh, be, you know, joining that one tribute album. So as a classical composer, kinda. So I made the uh, their song a song called Black Diamond into piano concerto. Wow! I, yeah, so I arranged the orchestration. Also, I played piano as well. So the, since then, you know, we became good friend. Talking of piano music and classical music, that was obviously where your, I guess, whole musical story began as a young child. Um, there's a moment in the film which was again really inspiring when you talked about basically being at a point where you were ready to give up music and walk away from it forever. But then you're invited or hired by the Emperor of Japan to compose. What was the occasion? His uh, 10 years anniversary of his reign. Right. Yeah. So. And that was what reinvigorated your whole love affair with music, right? Yes. So I composed piano concerto. So tell me about that. Tell me about where you wanted to come from emotionally and and what you wanted to, I guess, express in the music that you made. So I made a one theme melody, um, one theme melody. Um, but actually, that was perfect timing because I was really lost. So the same melody could be a major, um, major or minor movement so um i I wanted to describe kind of people because 
emperor is such a amazing symbol in Japan. So um, I want to describe 10 years of Japanese history where Japanese people uh, what Japan, uh, Japan went through. So I created, created a pretty dramatic piano concerto. Um, also at that time I was like, I was about, about to give up music because, because whenever I think about, thought about music, that lead me, led me to the um, sad memories of my, my, my member's death, brainwash, brainwashing event, situation, as well as you know my father's death, so um, yeah, but it's so I mean strange. I mean amazing to just like probably I I should have I I, I turned down every single offer, but <laughs> coming from that kind of you know uh, I mean emperor is such an amazing figure in Japan, so I really respect that. So. Almost, you know, I, I asked my mother, "What should I do?" But I, I almost had, I almost didn't have a choice. <laughs> but that brought me back to that stage. There's so few people as well that could straddle both worlds so seamlessly, and that's obviously a testament to your vision and your talent. But I mean, I can't imagine Gene Simmons ever writing an opera. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? There's there's very few people that can exist in those two drastically different worlds and i only saw a snippet of the the song that you composed in the film but was blown away by it the power of it and so different so radically different to to x japan but then i guess x japan is such a a varied beast isn't it yeah and there's so much going on right um i just want to say as well i'm really inspired by your whole story um, and you know the things that you've been through just unbelievable sadness and to have come through it all uh, and to just still be here and you know about to play Wembley which isn't exactly a local pub gig it's you know I mean how are you feeling about that show well congratulations first of all just on an amazing like strength of will and and a great career but yeah Wembley um, tell me about the excitement in the X camp leading up to this show because this must be a pretty big um, event for you, right? Yeah. So last time X Japan performed here in London, we played at the place called Shepherd Bush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was an amazing show. Um, we love the audience. Um, so this time, yeah, it's a little bigger, um, but uh, compared to the place, you know. Um, um, Japan performed in Tokyo before because, because it's Wembley Arena, so it's not a stadium. So, um, it's a club show for you guys. <laughs> it's not, I wouldn't say that, but it was just you know, I mean, I'm glad we can bring the little bigger production to you know, overseas. So, pretty much the second time because we also did a North American tour, um, before, but that was like a couple thousand people. But we did Manson Square Garden that time, we brought the big you know, our kind of like a you know, big stage. So this time it's kind of same kind of same vibe. So I'm very gra- glad we can be doing this. You know, a bunch of pyros and yeah. So amazing. Um, just as a final thought, what's your time in this band taught you about life? What are the main lessons that you've that you've picked up and learned along the way? Because it's obviously been quite an exceptional journey. I'd say. Do not take anything for granted. What you, what you have right this moment could be your friend, could be your family. Anything you have could be just a miracle. You just don't realize how lucky you are till you lose that person or what you have. So everything seems like just normal, but I think you, uh, you guys are so lucky to have what you have right this moment. That's the, so, you know, I mean, we are living in the same era right now. So, you know, um, everything's just a miracle. So I don't take anything for granted anymore. Amen. A real pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.